This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Cheeseheads. Cheeseheads. Get on your feet. It's Curd and Law. Hosted by Sparky Pfeiffer and Ryan Horvath. Hey, it's Sparky Pfeiffer, 1250 AM, The Fan. Time for another edition of Curd and Law. Ryan Horvath off uh, today, so he won't be here means it's just you and me for this journey and i am here to tell you i am uh really mad really really mad like i think this has been the most mad i've been in quite some time uh, about everything that is going on with this packers team fan base media everybody involved now part of it might be because i've been battling sickness and so forth um the last few days so that might be part of it just sinus infection whatever maybe that's what has me in a bad mood uh, i'm not quite sure but i i am not liking what i am seeing from a lot of people on social media uh, or from uh, the people that are writing about the team and the blogs and the articles and whatever else the case may be. I am trying to wrap my head around something here. So the Packers lose to the Raiders, 17-13. And you did not have, yet again, and will not have the rest of the year, David Bakhtiari at left tackle. And that is a reality that this team is going to have to deal with and figure out how to get better at going forward. We said last week on this current long program that this was make or break for Rasheed Walker. If he looked like crap, like he did against the Lions and Hutchinson, then they're going to have to figure out somebody else to play left tackle or figure out a new alignment on that offensive line. Because you cannot continue to put this offense in disarray because one guy on the line can't do his job. Now, thankfully for him, he wasn't the only guy that stunk in this game, but he was the main culprit at left tackle. At halftime of that football game on Monday night, I tweeted out, he should not play the second half at left tackle. Just should not happen. Put Yash Nyman at left tackle. I don't care what you do. But even if it was with the same result, I was going to be okay with it. But you had to do something different. You could not allow Jordan Love and that offense and the running backs, A.J. Dillon, to go back out there with Rasheed Walker, who was getting his butt handed to him, play in, play out, play in, play out. And it didn't even matter who was rushing against him. It didn't have to be Crosby. That Coots guy, he was killing him too. And then Coots obviously went down and got hurt. But So what didn't even really matter who the guy was. He was struggling all the way around. 
So either he's overwhelmed, maybe he's just not that good, maybe it's just a, a young guy going through some some ups and downs here, getting starts uh, and trying to gain experience, and I'm all for that, right? Because these young wide receivers, they have to gain experience. Uh, Jordan Love, every start he gets is more experience. I understand all of that. But, 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 at some point, you have to protect his blind side. Let Rasheed Walker learn at right tackle. Move Zach Tom somewhere else. If you're bound to determine have Rasheed Walker get experience, fine. But that left tackle position has to be your best lineman, if possible, and most athletic lineman, if possible, at left tackle to pr- protect Jordan Love. They didn't do that. And what am I seeing on social media? All this crap about, oh, Jordan Love sucks. I knew Jordan Love wasn't any good. I told you they shouldn't have gotten rid of Aaron Rodgers. Unbelievable that so many people thought Jordan Love was any good. That's all I kept seeing. And I realized quickly that what Monday night really was, was for all the trolls that wanted to go after Jordan Love or wanted to go after Joe Barry, this was your moment. This this was your moment. Because in both situations, I think both were kind of uncalled for, to be honest. Joe Barry's point, uh, really uncalled for it for have him getting gone, gone after. The Jordan Love thing, get it. I get it, right? Three interceptions. The interception to the linebacker, the first one, dumb. Dumb. I Jordan Love pretty much said, didn't see him. It was a dumb play. There was three guys around him. Three guys. But he, he was bound to determine to go there. That was a stupid play. He deserves blame. The second interception was back shoulder to, well, it was thrown behind Christian Watson. Peters broke on the ball uh, and kind of read where he was going with the ball. That was a forced throw. That was that was Jordan Love's fault. Fine. And the Christian Watson interception that he underthrew because he was trying not to throw it out of the end zone, I guess. I'm not quite sure. That also was his fault. Now, you could argue Christian Watson should have came back for the ball, try and knock it down, play DB, whatever, fine. But again, this is still a guy that has yet to play a full season of football because he missed several games last year. He's missed several games this year. This dude is still a rookie, essentially. Really is, still a rookie. Still trying to figure out how to play the game of football. So these are the growing pains you're going to go through. And then you have guys dropping balls. Romeo Dobbs dropped the ball. Musgrave dropped the ball. So you had things throughout the course of the game on offense that really weren't in your favor. A.J. Dillon, he came out, and I I, I questioned whether or not LaFleur was even going to bother with the ground game once they found out Aaron Jones wasn't going to play. Like, okay, it's A.J. Dillon. The hell with it. We're just going to throw it. But he didn't. He came out and pounded A.J. Dillon and pounded A.J. Dillon and was successful doing it. And they get three points. And he kind of ran them, I guess, to a certain degree, rest of the game, for the most part. But again... Running A.J. Dillon is not the same as running A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. And to those of you that think, well, the offense should go the same way without your all-pro left tackle and star running back. Oh, by the way, the star running back is your veteran on offense who the offense was designed around. But it should be the same. Come on. I mean, you can't even be serious at this point. Listen. If I have to game plan for a guy that could be a possible home run threat on the defensive side of the ball, that can run outside, cut back inside, catch the ball out of the backfield, does all these things, that's one thing. To game plan for a guy that can only run essentially between the tackles, they don't throw the ball to him out of the backfield and A.J. Dillon, and again, none of this is his fault, this just is who he is as a player. And 
you know, isn't he going to break some some run for 25, 30 yards? Like, he hasn't shown the propensity to do that on a consistent basis. Hardly at all. I don't know how many times he's even done it in his career, to be honest with you. So the big play from A.J. Dillon is going to be what? Seven, 10-yard run? That's the big play? Normally, it's three to four yards. And if he's averaging four yards a carry, I think he averaged up at, what, 3.8 or whatever it was. If he ends up averaging four yards a carry, well, three carries, that's 12 yards if he's doing his gig. But it's not the same thing. Game planning and offense with A.J. Dillon and no Aaron Jones is completely different than if you have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And I know, well, it's Matt LaFleur's fault. He's an NFL head coach. He's the offensive coordinator, Sparky. He should figure it out. Okay, fair enough. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he shouldn't. But he wasn't prepared to go into this game with Aaron Jones until Saturday. So for the week, nine days, whatever it was, leading up to that point, the game plan was around Aaron Jones. Played the last game on fish count. Everything was going fine up until that point. Saturday, he pulls up and practice according to LaFleur, and they determined that we can't play him. And now, he's got to scramble to put together a whole new game plan, throw out what he had, start over with just A.J. Dillon, because they don't trust Wilson. Patrick Taylor, I don't know why he's on the roster. He doesn't do anything. Like, nothing. What does he do well? Tell me, what's his, what does he do well? Wilson gives you the ability to at least hit a home run. But I'm guessing the reason they don't play Wilson is either he doesn't know the plays, he's not good in pass protection, or something. The, the loyalty to Patrick Taylor, I have no clue. I, I, don't, I don't see the point of him even being on the roster, to be honest with you. I, I don't get it. You could have put him out there on the free agent market, and I'm sure somebody would take a, uh, a chance on him. There ain't nothing special about that guy. They'll give you the ability to do anything. Either way. So it's essentially just A.J. Dillon. No threat. None whatsoever. Then Christian Watson, who finally is back, again, yet again, after missing a significant amount of time with a hamstring injury, turns into the Devontae Adams for Jordan Love. And you're going, Sparky, Devontae Adams? He ain't Devontae Adams. No, he's not. But you know what he was? He was the guy that Jordan Love had eyes for. That's who he was. The guy that Jordan Love had eyes for. Like Rodgers had eyes for Devontae Adams and would only throw to Devontae Adams what, three quarters of the time or whatever the hell it was. That's what he became for Jordan Love on Monday night against the Raiders. I mean, Romeo Dobbs was barely looked at the whole night. Jaden Reed, who had had a couple of big plays downfield, had what, one throw? And I don't even know where Jordan Love was even throwing that ball. I, I don't know if Jaden Reed was supposed to be in a spot and he wasn't, or Jordan Love just made a bad throw. I don't know. It was horrible, but it, it landed in the middle of a bunch of guys and nothing happened because of it. But outside of that, Jaden Reed really didn't get any looks either. Musgrave got more looks than those three, those other two guys did. Is that game planning? I don't know. I have no idea. All I'm saying is it felt like Jordan Love was in that game and last week against the Lions of I'm bound to determine to hit a you know a big pass to Christian Watson. That's what it felt like. And then he got to do just that because there was a blown coverage or something uh, for the Raiders. I love rolls left, throws that, what, 76-yard uh, completion or whatever it was by Christian Watson. He gets horse, horse tackled, a horse collar tackled uh, to the ground. Um, and then they obviously can't punch the ball in for a touchdown after that. So obviously became a, a great penalty at the end of the day. And I saw Florio on Pro Football Talk on Twitter saying that should just be an automatic touchdown. If you do something like that uh, in that situation to save a touchdown, that's not safe or anything else. That should just be rewarded a touchdown. If there's nobody between you and the end zone and the guy grabs you from behind like that, you should be rewarded a touchdown. 
The NFL will never, ever, ever, ever do that. There's no way. So at the end of the day, it was a smart penalty uh, and a dangerous one uh, for the Raiders. uh, And then they held their ground and, and kept the Packers out of the end zone. But he definitely had eyes for Watson, similar to the way Rodgers had eyes for Devontae Adams. And that is on Jordan Love, clearly. No question. So clearly, there is a lot of this on Jordan Love. What's irritating me about a majority of this is, is it's like Crosby and the offensive line never existed in the game. I listened to the press conferences afterwards on Twitter. Now, the LaFleur one got cut off. So... That's all we got to see. So I, I haven't talked to any media guys that were there. But of the part that I saw on Twitter of LaFleur and Jordan Love, nobody brought up Crosby. Nobody brought up Rasheed Walker being horrible. Nobody brought up any of that. It was all Jordan Love threw three picks. How could you get Jordan Love better? Jordan Love this. Jordan Love this. Jordan Love that. And then in a defensive question, we got to have one of those. That, that's what it was. And I'm like, did we all watch the same game? Was I watching a different game than everybody else? The story of that game was the offensive line being crap and Max Crosby destroying them. That was the story of the game. But because love threw three picks, here we are. Then the other part of social media, and sometimes the same person that was bashing Jordan Love, was going after Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator. And like I said earlier, Mike Pettin, or not Mike Pettin, Preston Smith on, uh, you know, a wide receiver is never going to go good. When it's the best wide receiver in football, Devontae Adams, it's really not going to go well, right? And they don't game plan it up for that's how it's supposed to be, but they kind of ended up in that situation. Could they have checked out of it, done something else? Like LaFleur said, yeah, probably. But it's kind of one of those situations where LaFleur points out that's happened to other teams where they got that matchup and the Packers had Devontae and they were able to take advantage of it. So that is what it is. Fact of the matter is, Devontae Adams had one catch for 12 yards in the entire first half. Hell, I think it was three quarters. It wasn't until one drive in the fourth quarter that Devontae Adams finally started getting the ball. And that was, you know, essentially the the, the drive where the, the Raiders took the lead. And that's all oh, fire Joe Barry. He's awful. Listen, folks, I don't disagree with you about Joe Barry probably not being that good. I don't even disagree with you that probably they should have got rid of Joe Barry at the end of last year. I don't. I'm all for it. Sure, sounds good. But, gave up 17 points. Your quarterback threw three picks. Your offensive line was trash. The defense was not the issue. Sorry. And you can say, whoa, well, they're playing so far off of Jacoby Myers, Sparky. They're giving up 20 yards of cushion. Whatever. They still only gave up 17 points. And really, they'd given up 10 for what? Three and a half quarters of that game? The Packers had multiple opportunities to get more than three points, and couldn't do it. That game doesn't come down to Joe Barry in the defense. No chance. Going into the bye week, if anything, if I'm Matt LaFleur, I'm like, all right, that's good. And LaFleur said it in the postgame press conference Monday night. Like, 17 points? That should be enough for us to win football games. I'm not going to be mad about giving up 17 points. Hard, hard, hard to be mad. Right? They were running, essentially... You know, the safety over the top, a corner, right, essentially double coverage for the most part on Devontae Adams, and it was working throughout. Now, was Devontae Adams maybe open more than he was thrown to? Probably. More than likely. Yeah. And, and Garoppolo just essentially checked out on him and started looking for guys that were more open and trying to not force a ball to Devontae for the sake of forcing a ball to Devontae. Now, that's the difference, right? Aaron Rodgers would have forced a ball to Devontae Adams. 
And it's funny, Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show on Tuesday uh, before I recorded this current log. And Rodgers is talking about the fact that Devontae Adams is always open, right? How they would trail two coverage, I believe, is what Rodgers was talking about uh, when they would play it against Devontae Adams. And they would play the coverage, and Devontae would come over and go, hey, I, I think there is a hole, uh, a window, that when they do this, that where we can get the ball to me. And Rodgers is like, all right, cool. So then they started to figure it out, and he was able to make a couple completions against that coverage. Even though the Vi- or was it the Vikings? I don't remember who the team was. Whoever it was probably didn't think there was any chance they'd be able to get the ball to Devontae Adams. Rodgers and Adams worked together to figure it out. Now, does Jimmy G and Devontae Adams work together to figure that stuff out? It doesn't appear so, at least not at this point. Now, Devontae did come out and say Jimmy G uh, you know, holds himself more accountable than any quarterback he's ever played for, meaning Rodgers and Derek Carr. So there's that, I guess. Uh, the Raiders ended up winning the game, so obviously Devontae Adams was okay with it at the end uh, as well. Some of the reactions uh, to this game, not only by the fan base, uh, but by players. Jair Alexander, I'm going to paraphrase this pretty much, but Jair Alexander after the game pretty much said that the defense can no longer give up touchdowns, and in fact, the defense has to score touchdowns in order for this team to win football games because the offense hasn't found its way yet, hasn't found its mojo yet, and they're young, right? That was uh, concerning to me, I'll be honest with you. Concerning. And the reason I, I, I feel like that's concerning is because when you have your best defensive player, and you can argue if it's him or Rashawn Gary, you can have that debate amongst yourself, but when you have your best defensive player pretty much saying that the defense knows the offense can't score, we have to do it ourselves. That means he's starting to lose the locker room a little bit on that side of the locker room for sure. And I don't know about the offensive side of the locker room, but on the defensive side of the locker room, it feels like that. Now, we know Alexander has come out and praised Jordan Love in the past and been a rah-rah guy for Jordan Love. This is my quarterback. Okay. But now, from that to we can't let them score and we have to score because they can't, that's a little concerning, a little troubling. I don't know how many other people read it that way, but that's how I kind of read it. And if you look at that defense overall, hey, man, Kenny Clark had a game. He played well in that game against the Raiders. Kenny Clark deserves a lot of credit uh, for how well he played in that game. Preston Smith, he played well in that game. He deserves some credit. Engabari made a play in that game. That's good. Can't say I'm a big fan of Isaiah McDuffie at this point. Um... He's definitely not a starting uh, middle linebacker probably in the National Football League. Uh, and then once you lose Quay Walker, and then you get forced to having to play another backup guy, again, not in a great situation at that point if you're the Green Bay Packers. And then you end up losing Darnell Savage on top of that. Now, not that Savage is the say-all, end-all. Not that I wanted Darnell Savage to be a starter on this Packers secondary to begin with. But of what you have, Emmett mean, I mean Ford are the, your two best options probably. So now in comes Owens. He made a nice play. Uh, I think it was, uh, was it a run stuff or something like that, I want to say, um, later in that game after Savage went out. So now he's going to have to play. Now, at least with Owens, you're replacing him with another veteran, right? So a guy that, that started, I think, all the games at safety for the Texans last year. So that is not as bad as Bakhtiari goes down, and I have to play a guy that has never really started or done anything in the National Football League. I feel a little bit better about that replacement for Savage, but still, that's another starter that you're going to lose and you're not going to have. I put out a poll question at 12.50 a.m. The Fan on Twitter. 
And you can feel free to vote. It's up for 24 hours. I put it up uh, Monday morning at some point. And I just simply asked at 12.50 a.m. the fan on Twitter, do you think that Jordan Love has been in a position to succeed with the Packers through five weeks? And I'll tell you, my answer to that is absolutely hell no. There is no chance that that dude has been put in a position to succeed. He just has it. Christian Watson, who supposedly is one, he was hurt for a majority of the five weeks. Eric Jones, the best player on his offense, including himself, he's been hurt with a hamstring. His best player on the offensive line, David Bakhtiari, hasn't but played, what, one game? And he's done for the year. His next best offensive lineman missed several weeks in Elton Jenkins. And we're going to talk about he's been put in the best position to succeed? Uh, no. The answer to that is absolutely no. And we haven't even talked about on the defensive side of the ball. But just talking about offense, concerning Jordan Love, there's no chance. And I think before the season, you could say he wasn't put in a position to succeed. Even if you said Aaron Jones was healthy all year and David Bakhtiari was healthy all year, I still don't think that's the answer because you're still asking him to play with a bunch of young wide receivers and tight ends that have no idea what the hell they're doing half the time and are trying to get on the same page. There was one play this game where there were three receivers all about five yards apart all in the middle of the field together. I can all but guarantee you that two of those guys, or at least one of those guys, didn't do their job correctly. There is no way that Matt LaFleur is designing a play to look like that. And even Troy Aikman on the broadcast said, like, I don't even know what that is. I don't know. Why are all three of those guys even there that close together? They weren't supposed to be. I can all but promise you they weren't supposed to be. That's another aspect of this that we should touch on. Matt LaFleur, who's been getting criticized up and down again. Oh, his play calling sucks. It's awful. Folks, do we know how many of these plays are actually being run correctly? Do we? The one that was a run designed, Tucker Crabb was supposed to come from the left side and take out Crosby chasing from the backside as A.J. Dillon was trying to get to the left where Tucker Crabb was coming from. Tucker Crabb wasn't fast enough to even get to Crosby. Crosby blows up Dillon. Again. Now, what is that? Is that a play not being executed? Is that poor play design? What is it? I'm just not convinced at this moment in time that regardless of who the play caller was, whether it's Matt LaFleur, whether it's Andy Reid, whether it's Sean McVay, pick. I don't think it really matters when we're talking about what this team currently has on its roster. You have Zach Tom at right tackle. Okay. We'll see how that works out. I don't know if he played all that great, to be honest with you. I wasn't sitting there staring at him during the game. I don't know what pro football focus is going to say, but it looked like he was getting moved around. So he's at right tackle. Running at right guard, I think you could find better than John Ruddy and myself. But either way, he's at right guard. He's supposed to be solid. Myers hasn't had a great year uh, at center necessarily, right? Left guard, you get Elton Jenkins back. I think he did okay for the most part. And then you have Walker. There was one play, again, I think it was, was it Crosby on the left side? Or is it Coons? I don't remember. What was Walker, instead of guarding the guy in front of him, goes to help Jenkins double somebody on the inside and the defender goes untouched. And I'm sitting here going, now wait a second. I don't firmly believe 
that the design of that play was to let their best pass rusher go untouched. I don't care what side of the ball this was supposed to be running on. Like, th- that's ridiculous. And why would Elton Jenkins need help getting doubled? Like, so again, my guess is they call the play. I don't know if Walker thought it was a run or what Walker thought, but there is no way that was the right decision. There's no chance. So, again, we can sit there and go, oh, they should pass more. Oh, they should run play action. Oh, we should run more bootlegs. Oh, let's run some jet sweeps. Oh, let's throw to the tight end in the middle more. Oh, let's do this. Oh, let's do that. Unless you know for certain that these plays are being run exactly the way Matt LaFleur draws them up. Unless we know that, I just don't think we can all get on board with the whole, he sucks. Like, I'm just not there. I'm sorry, I'm not there. Now, we have the rest of the season to see how this whole thing plays out. At the beginning of the season, I said seven to nine wins. I was talking to my dad this morning, and I said, I'm still saying it's seven to nine wins. He said, no chance. I'll be lucky if they win five. I don't believe that to be true. I, I just do not believe it to be true. They're going to win seven to nine games, and they are going to get better as we get closer to the end of the season. You get down to those last three, four, five weeks, this offense, if they don't lose any more players and can stay relatively healthy, will finally start to look like the offense we all thought. That's my assumption. That, that's how this should play out. Now, if between now and the end of the season, Aaron Jones is gone for the year, Christian Watson's gone for the year, and they lose Musgrave or something to injuries, well, then no. Then it's going to be crap all year, probably. And they have to figure out left tackle. And by figuring out left tackle, I don't care how you do it. I don't care if Jenkins goes to left tackle. I don't care if it's Tom at left tackle, if it's Josh Nyman at left tackle. But it's not going to be Rasheed Walker at left tackle coming out of the bye week against Denver. Like, that simply cannot be a thing. So, the first order of business has to be figure out who the best five are in what positions they need to play and work them together this entire Week and a half or whatever it's going to be, because they're going to get time off because it's the bye week, all the players. When they come back, they the, whoever the new five offensive linemen are need to work together on run blocking and pass blocking and try and develop that chemistry. Because it's going to take some time to develop a chemistry if you're going to play musical chairs. If you don't want to play musical chairs, then Yash Nyman just goes in at left tackle and everybody else stays the same and go from there. Yash Nyman has played next to Elton Jenkins before. There's some type of chemistry there. So I think that's a, that's an option as well. But I firmly believe this offense will get better by the end of the year. And I firmly believe this will be an explosive offense in 2024 uh, with this Packers squad. Firmly believe it. In the draft, they've got to find tackles, and they're going to have to find running backs. Those two things will need to be found uh, in the NFL draft next April. And then... <laughs> The only problem with 2024 is saying, oh, they're going to be explosive is you might have to start a Ricky left tackle. Like, that might just have to be a thing depending on what you do with Bakhtiari. And that's the other conundrum they're going to be in is, okay, do I want to start a Ricky left tackle and go through what we did in 23 with Jordan Love getting his brains beat in because whoever you put at left tackle sucks? Uh, or do you put Bakhtiari out there and say, okay, look, we're going to bring you back another year. Hopefully you can stay healthy for the whole year and play it that way. And then if Bakhtiari can't stay healthy, then fine. Then the your first-round draft pick, and it's got to be the first-round draft pick, has to be a tackle. By the early looks of these mock drafts, there's like five, six tackles maybe in the first round this year, uh, in 2024. So you have to take a tackle there in the first round. And then you come back in the second round, maybe you take the best running back available in the second round. 
Um, and then you come back in the third round, maybe you take another offensive tackle there to give yourself protection. Because, hey, best case scenario, both those tackles work out. You have a left tackle and a right tackle. Tom then can move into center to replace Myers. Elton Jenkins still a left guard. If you decide to play running at right guard or Sean Ryan, if he decides to, you want to play him at right guard, that's fine. Haven't really seen enough of him yet to know that. But that, that has to be kind of what it looks like. I just cautioned you just to relax. This is not a team that was meant to be a Super Bowl or bus team. Did you and your buddies talk about, man, Packers are going to win 13, only got to worry about the Eagles and the Niners, and it's going to be the Packers of the NFC outside of those two teams? Were you having those conversations? If you were, you're fooling yourself. Like you were wrong. In which case, you should be mad at yourself, not mad at the Green Bay Packers. Realistically, coming into the season, the goal should have been around seven to nine wins. That, that's what it should have been. And I remember Ryan Horvat. I believe it was Ryan Horvat. I don't remember. Uh, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. We have so many people on this podcast. But somebody along the way, when we talked about expectations for Jordan Love and how you were going to George judge Jordan Love, somebody had said, I'll I'll feel better regardless of winning losses. Doesn't matter how many games they win. But if they're playing better at the end of the year than they were in the beginning of the year then it's a success. I agree. Now, did I think they should have beat the Raiders? Yes. Do I think they should beat the Broncos? Yes. Do I think they should beat the Vikings without Justin Jefferson? Absolutely yes. I do. I think they should have won all three of these games. I didn't anticipate Crosby rooting the game. I should have. That's my fault. I should have known how bad Walker was. Should have anticipated them not being able to do anything. Now, you want to be mad at LaFleur for something, you can be mad at LaFleur for that. Feel free, right? You didn't give Walker enough help. You didn't max protect enough, right? That type of stuff. You want to get mad at LaFleur, fine. Go ahead. Get mad at LaFleur about that. But in general, though, when we start talking about play calling, it plays not working or whatever, like I said earlier, if there's no there's no way to know if everybody did what they're supposed to do. Jordan Love sees one thing, a receiver sees another, he goes the other way. Other receivers see something else, he goes the other way. Now they're all in the same area of the field, and everybody's like, what a crappy call by Matt LaFleur. But was it? Did they all do what they were supposed to do? And then I saw somebody else on Twitter, and I don't remember who it was. I apologize. But somebody on Twitter said, I don't want Matt LaFleur saying I. I want Matt LaFleur saying, we. Why? What does it matter? Like, he's taking accountability for himself, being the head coach, and saying, I have to do better in my job. Right? I mean, he could say, we have to do better. Sure. I don't see the big deal, though. Like, what's the difference one way or the other? Is the difference of, you don't want LaFleur to get all the heat, so that's why you don't want him to say, I, and you want him to say, we? I don't know. Like, when a quarterback does it, and, he, and, you know, he says, oh, this guy has to work on this, and this guy has to work on that, and that quarterback never takes accountability, never says, I screwed up, or I have to play better. But, but it's always, you know, we got to get better as an offense, da, 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 da. But he never puts accountability on himself. That irritates me. That I'll get down with. But if an individual is putting accountability on himself, I have no problem with that. I don't. And again, maybe it's not a big deal one way or the other. Uh, but that's where I'm at. All right, Ryan Horvath, hopefully we'll be back uh, for our next podcast coming up here uh, in the next couple of days. But again, another edition of Curd and Long in the Books. 
Uh, and uh, stay tuned. Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays, usually by 5 p.m. Central. Now, this is a different one here. It's Tuesday, obviously, after Monday night game. Uh, but we'll record another one, hopefully tomorrow, Wednesday, and that'll be up by uh, Wednesday night uh, as well. Enjoy the rest of your day. Be nice. Be nice, Packer fans. Don't overreact. And I'm the one saying it. I'm the king of overreaction. Look at what you've done to me. Have a good one. Toodles.